This is the Persistence of Christian Memory podcast, episode number nine, with Vince Darty and Bruce Darty. Good morning, Dad. Good morning, Vince. Good to see you today. One of the things we have discussed previously on this podcast is uh, some issues that go back to um, the Reformation uh, era and also addressed in the Restoration uh, movement is the issues involving clergy and clergy laity. Uh, in today's episode, we want to uh, pick up on that thread and, and explore some things uh, concerning that, that system. To my mind, one of the most pernicious departures from New Testament Christianity, I believe, has been the acceptance of this clergy-laity division. The acceptance of this uh, situation, I think, has destroyed the concept of the priesthood of all believers. You remember in 1 Peter 2, 9, where Peter says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And that was not directed just to the leaders of the church, but was to all the saints. And while we try to avoid terminology uh, surrounding the clergy and even the concept itself, it's a still a hard thing to eradicate, even among those who are committed to a restoration of the New Testament way of doing things. How did the uh, clergy and laity system come into being? Well, the designation in Greek is uh, the word kleros, special lot or special portion. Uh, you can find this in 1 Peter 5, 3, where Peter used it to talk about how elders are, uh, you know, shepherds over the flock or the portion assigned to them, which is the flock. And that's that word kleros in the original language. But the term was used in the writings of the early church fathers to talk about leadership in the church, bishops, presbyters, deacons. These offices were sometimes called the kleros to distinguish the leadership from the rest of the congregation. After the Peace of Constantine in the early fourth century, the division of clergy as separate from the laos or the people became complete. And because of these two words, kleros, laos, that's where we get clergy laity. When the tension between the church and the world ceased in the, after the Peace of Constantine, and then when there was no longer any persecution of Christians, it came to be believed that there was a necessity to designate a special class who would take care of the spiritual realm of life, while the rest of the people would take care of the material side. And so there are now two types of Christians, and in the Latin is read as duo genera Christorum, and the laos, or the laity, were expected to work and support the kleros, or the clergy, which would handle all the spiritual activities of the church. And though the efforts of reformers and the restoration movement, have many have sought uh, to correct this, but sadly, it's still an issue whether uh, we use the name uh, or whether we follow the practice today. In our episode today, we want to read a satirical article by Alexander Campbell entitled The Third Epistle of Peter. Yes, this is a very sharp and pointed uh, article that's aimed straight at the pretentious clergy, uh, claims of the clergy of his day. It was one of the most well-known of the early writings of Campbell. And we're going to be reading from an edited version that can be found in Homer Haley's book on the restoration movement called Attitudes and Consequences. Campbell put it in his paper, The Christian Baptist, 
as if they were, this were a long-lost manuscript that had been found and made public. Yeah, the poignancy, there's also uh, a little bit of humor in it as well. But uh, let's go ahead and, and get started with uh, some of this reading. All right. Now, when Campbell placed it in his uh, paper, he made it sound like this was a manuscript that had been lost and uh, needed, needing to be recovered. And so that's how uh, he approached it. But uh, this is uh, how he starts. Uh, he's now you who are called and chosen to go forth to all nations and among all people in time present and time to come to preach the word. See, you take to yourselves marks, nay, many outward marks, whereby you shall be known by men. Be you not called as men are called, but be ye called Pope, Archbishop, Archdeacon, or Divine, or Reverend, or Right Reverend, or some like holy name, so you may show forth your honor and your calling. Yeah, this um, first little bit talking about the names in which uh, these these men would take, not but names by which men are called, um, but Pope, Archbishop, Deacon, Divine, Reverend. Uh, you know, you see people having these types of titles, um, and they're titles that you know are contrary to what you find in Scripture. Right. You remember Jesus condemned the Pharisees of his days, uh, your day in Matthew chapter 23. And uh, Jesus described the Pharisees there as uh, loving the greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But then Jesus placed a prohibition on these things. And he said, but you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Yeah, the, there's another passage that comes to my mind um, in Psalm 111 and verse number 9. Uh, Reverend is in reference to God only one time in the entire Bible. And yet how many people today take on that title of reverend and how blasphemous if you really think about uh, what it is. Um, and so he talks about the names in which we uh, should call ourselves. I, I wanted to mention here, you know, Growing up, I remember times when we would interact with people, people not familiar with the church, uh, and they would they would call you pastor or, or preacher or something, and they would say, what do I call you? And I distinctly remember multiple occasions where you would just say, just call me Bruce. And again, just you are not anything uh, of special uh, as far as divine calling. You are just a man just like any other. Uh, and I can distinctly remember that a lot of times. Well, it's one of those things. Uh, people, I think, do this. They want to be respectful. Sure. But at the same time, it is where we've created thing about uh, the titles that uh, religious leaders wear uh, again, uh, that elevates and tends to pump human pride and puff up human pride. And uh, as we can see from the example of Jesus and multiple things of that Jesus scripture, uh, humility needs to be the way of those who follow the servant who came to serve. 
Yeah, when we we create those titles and give them to men, it creates division. It creates uh, there's two different classes, like you, you're mentioning here, and um, those things don't help to promote unity, but but division. All right, let's come back to uh, this epistle, the third epistle of Peter by Brother Campbell. Uh, in the next place, it says, "And let your dwelling places be houses of splendor and edifices of cost." Here he's talking about the homes that uh, preachers are to live in, and he he references here and says, make sure they're splendid and uh, very costly. Well, it's where we, I think, again, need to always understand about balance. Uh, Preachers should not live, uh, I think, above the average uh, people that are in our communities, nor should they be forced to live below the average uh, of folks in our communities. And uh, again, the preacher's home could be uh, very, uh, very comfortable without being uh, overly luxurious. And so we always need to strike a balance when we talk about these things. Yeah, coming back to the epistle, it says uh, about his clothes and his garments, he says, Be garments not as garments of men, neither let them be seamless garments woven throughout, that's a reference to Jesus, Uh, but let them be robes of the richest silks and robes of fine linen, of curious device, and of costly workmanship. Well, again, uh, unfortunately, one of the things that we do in setting off the clergy from the laity is to expect the clergy to to wear the robe or the backward collar or some other kind of way to just to demonstrate uh, here is uh, the the professional uh, religious leader among the rest of us. And uh, and so Campbell's. mentioning the the robes and the apparel and and especially the cost of these kind of things is an effort to help us to understand again uh, we can preach the truth of Jesus uh, in very simple clothing and it's not about uh, what we put on on the outside but uh, it is whether we're representing Jesus or not. Yeah, if uh, John the Baptist can go about wearing camel's hair, I think um, uh, it should give us something of of what humility we need to have when we uh, are dressing ourselves. We don't we don't want to look um, uh, outlandish, or we don't want to uh, be so you know raggedy, I guess, that we call attention to ourselves that way. But whenever the Bible talks about things of modesty, and I know these are mostly addressed to women, but modesty was not really about the revealingness of, of their clothes, but more the um, the extravagant and the lavish, and you're drawing attention because of, you know, these are uh, these things of riches and jewels and things like that. Well, let's continue on with Campbell's letter. Campbell then addressed the, the church buildings uh, where these, uh, these men would. Uh, he said, let the houses in which you preach be called churches. Let them be built in manner of great ornament without and adorned with much cost within, with rich pillars and paints and with fine altars and pedestals and urns of precious stones and cloths and velvet of scarlet and vessels of silvers. 
uh, and let there be rooms for the changing of robes and places for the precious metals and miters. All of these were, again, uh, helping us to understand uh, simple, ornate, uh, simple or ornate buildings. And all of these uh, were uh, about what church buildings were, were made in the old world and then bringing to the new world a neo-Gothic kind of styles of architecture and things like this. And uh, you have to remember at the time, Campbell's preaching in a very simple log structure uh, or a, a wood structure uh, out there on the frontier. Yeah, they, um, you, you talking about like after the, the medieval era and the Renaissance and you see these lavish spending and all that money going into the building of, uh, the church buildings and, uh, and there, there's just some gaudy type of things, uh, to be seen. And even that comes to the new world as well. But, um, as you start to go further away from the coast, you have people who are more in the frontier. These buildings are more for function as far as, you know, just get you out of the elements, so to speak. And, um, and where people can study the Bible and um, be devoted, but it's not something that's to, to be uh, drawing all this extra attention for the building in and of itself. Yes, and I appreciated you using the word function there because it, it reminds us, what is the church building actually for? Uh, is it this elaborate temple uh, in which our, our minds have to be drawn by sensual things to a higher plane? Or is it a, a simple building for meeting in uh, where uh, the study of the word of God and uh, the uh, enrichment of the lives of the people as it's made in the study of word, uh, the word of God can be made. You know, it's as a school model or a temple model. And uh, that reflects a lot of our function uh, when we think about it. Yeah, I also think about, you know, some of these mega churches of our day. Uh, when you drive up, you you know, they got to give you a map just to know where it's like a campus of a college. You know, it's uh, how, where do I go to get to the assembly hall? Um, and when when things become so ornate and so, you know, it, they're, they're, you're, you're losing sight of it uh, because uh, and to get to the worship assembly, I got to go past the gift shop and the coffee shop on the way. And uh, that's those are red flags to me when we're looking at uh, the places of our worship and what we're spending funds on. Well, Campbell went on to describe these church buildings, and then he addressed the pews where the members sit. He said, and let the houses be divided into seats for the congregation. Let every man know his own seat. And let the first seats in front of the altar be for the rich that pay by thousands, and the next for the poor that pay by hundreds, and the last for those that pay by tens. And let the poor man sit behind the door. Let the seats be garnished with cushions and crimson cloth and uh, fine velvet. You know, when I read about this, uh, automatically my mind goes uh, to James chapter 2. Right. And you remember in James chapter 2, is uh, he is addressing the idea of favoritism and prejudice. 
He talks about if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a, a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so here is uh, this uh, very idea that Campbell was putting into his satirical article when he mentions uh, where he says, let every man know his own seat. I often think about people in in my congregation where this is my pew. You know, they don't have their name on it, but this is where they sit each and every Sunday. And uh, woe to a visitor if they're sitting in this uh, this pew that has uh, been designated as my pew. Or a pew that's been designated for um, uh, mothers with, with young children. And oftentimes those are uh, filled with people who have long graduated from motherhood or uh, of young children. Um, yeah, then there's some things that we we can learn from here. Well, in 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 all of this, uh, it is where again, what are we really communicating with our dress, with our material things, and even with our church buildings? Are we communicating that we are followers of him who is meek and lowly in spirit? Or are we communicating something else that we need to be uh, fashionable and acceptable in the sight of men? That's what Campbell was driving at. Yeah. All right. And coming back to uh, the uh, the letter, uh, let's go on to where the section is talking about choosing of ministers. It says, when you go out to choose holy ones to be of your brethren and to minister at the altar, choose you from among the youth, even those whose judgments are yet not yet ripe and whose hearts know, are not known whether they will be inclined to God or to mammon. Yeah, and uh, here again, we need to think a bit about when congregations hire preachers, what are they really hiring? Uh, if, a, if a man is young and got a young family, oh, we like that because this will allow him to get in mix in the community and things like that. And there's nothing wrong uh, with hiring a young man. But uh, many times the older man who is... Uh, now got what uh, Jack Lewis used to call the four B's. He's balding, he's wearing bifocals, he's got the bulges, and down on his feet, he's got the bunions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that man might be wiser and might be a better preacher and uh, more experienced, right? More experienced, but because he's past the so called prime of life, uh, we don't want to hire that man. Uh, we want to hire uh, maybe a young man who's got a lot of good enthusiasm, and that's there's nothing against, again, young men uh, and their desire to serve God. But many times uh, they're not as, uh, as uh, developed in their preaching abilities and in their ministerial abilities as the older man. Right. Um, I was in a conversation the other day where two older preachers were talking about um, sometimes congregations are just looking for a warm body. 
for whatever reason, the congregations are tired of passing it around the men. And uh, if you got someone who's at any level competent there, uh, they're ready in, to hire, not even really going to vet too too hard on anything. Uh, and it, it can be to the detriment of that young man if he's not ready for that role, or it could be also detrimental to uh, a congregation if they have not done their due diligence. You can have fine and young, articulate men that are ready for that role, but you can also find where, you know, that's not the right fit. Um, but uh, it, people need to be more discerning, uh, and I think that's what uh, Campbell's driving at. Yes, his next paragraph says, Then you shall have taught many exceeding things. They shall not be as ignorant fishermen or husbandmen or men speaking one tongue and serving God only by the knowledge of his law. Nay, you shall make them wise in the things of your wisdom, yea, exceedingly cunning in many mysteries, even the mysteries which you, yeah, which you teach. Then shall they be fitted for the laying on of hands. And when the bishop has done his office, then shall they be reverend divines. But if any man believe that he is called by God to speak to his brethren without money and without price, though his soul be bowed to the will of the Father, and though he work all righteousness and speak as with the tongue of an angel, if he is not made a divine by your rulers and by the hands of a bishop, then he is not a divine, nor shall he preach. Yeah, I, Campbell's talking about the need to seek the humble man, the man who is just going to stay straight with what uh, the law teaches and talking about the law of Christ. Uh, but what he's saying <laughs> satirically, you, you need to desire the one who you can control, the one who teaches the way you like it, and the one who has been ordained by your people. <laughs> Uh, and again, we're not looking for the, the humble man who is doing the right things. Or the man who may know his Bible, but has never gone to, uh, you know, preacher training school or a, or a Bible college or a theological seminary. Uh, unfortunately, in the world of denominationalism, uh, unless you have a uh, license to preach and have been ordained, uh, they don't let you in their pulpits. No. And uh, in the same way, I think we need to watch ourselves uh, as we insist a man has to have uh, uh, a Bible degree or have gone to, uh, you know, a school of preaching or something like that. And that's not to uh, denigrate any of that kind of training. In fact, uh, I myself am the beneficiary of a lot of this kind of training, and I'm involved in the, the training of young men and others who teach and do it in a better way. But we can fail to see that there are some men who have trained themselves in the Word of God, uh, and uh, because we insist on a degree, we're almost insisting on the ordination uh, kind of thing that Campbell is decrying here. Yeah. Um, uh, again, if there's a division, therefore, uh, you can't be a faithful preacher or something like that unless you have, you know, this and this uh, credential. Um, we, we've made the mistake there. Uh, and, um, we, like you say, we need to be careful about how we view people and how we view preachers, how we view where sound doctrine is. Uh, if it, it accords with what the Bible, 
we need to promote and, and that whether or not they've got 20 advanced degrees or whether they got an eighth grade education. Right. And this is true, uh, again, where uh, it's almost where the degrees and the ordaining and the license to preach and uh, these kind of things, uh, are we really doing this to be more trained or are we doing this because we need the approval of men rather than the approval of God? Right. And again, when Jesus or the New Testament talks about uh, uh, many of the Pharisees and the rulers who believed on Jesus, but they would not acknowledge it or confess it openly. And John says in John 12, 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. All right. The next section of uh, Campbell's letter uh, deals with the uh, the performance, so to speak, of preaching. He says, um, when you go to the church to preach, uh, go not by the retired way where goes where go those that would shun the crowd, but go in the highway where where go the multitude. Right. And of course, uh, this brings to my mind uh, what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter six. You know, uh, Jesus uh, told his disciples, do not be like the Pharisees who stand on the corner as they would pray in a, a loud voice. So everyone who was uh, who was walking by knew they were praying. They were spiritual people. And he said, when you give your alms, uh, don't sound the trumpet. So everybody would take a look at how much you're giving. And uh, he also said, uh, when you fast, do not change your appearance uh, because the Pharisees would let everyone know that they were fasting. Right. It's uh, the, the outward appearance more than the, the inward spirit. Uh, it talks about further in this uh, paragraph, it says, you shall be gazed upon by the multitude and they shall honor you and the men shall praise you and the women shall glorify you. Even the women shall you be glorified. Right. And so, again, uh, it's it's all about who are we trying to impress? Absolutely. And uh, and we can do this even when uh, we're we're preaching. Uh, are we trying to impress our audience or are we trying to faithfully give God's word to people as we preach? The next uh, paragraph talks about um, the papers that you bring. It says, and when you go in, go not as the ordained, prepared only with a soul uh, to God and with a heart to, to men and a spirit filled with the Holy Ghost, but go with your pockets full of papers and full of divine words, even in your pockets shall your divinity be. And here, uh, I know uh, we... Uh, I think Campbell is uh, addressing uh, the problem that was prevalent in his day, which is still a problem in our day is, is again, I've gone to theology uh, or the theological school. Right. I've gone to the seminary. Uh, I know these, these kind of mysteries. Um, many times uh, you when, when a guy comes and preaches and, and some brethren will say, well, how did he preach? And they'll say deep. And <laughs> that's all they can say is deep. And and is it really deep and uh, a great uh, message that is given? Or is it just uh, spoken in a way over your head that it never communicated anything to you? 
Right. Going back to uh, Campbell's uh, letter, he says, Let your sermon be full of enticing words of man's wisdom, and let it be beautiful with just divisions and tropes and metaphors with hyperbole and apostrophe and with interrogation, with exclamation and with syllogisms and with sophisms throughout let uh, declamation be. Uh, He is talking about the 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 words and the language in which we get well i'll never forget one of the ways in which brian uh kenyon the director at the school uh would talk oftentimes about um when we would do chapel he would critique us and he would say uh put it where the calves can get it you know uh, the when the 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 animal gets his food don't put it on the level where the only the the big and the strong and the tall can can reach it but put it on the level where the calves can get it uh, and the, and the uh, the older and more mature ones can stoop down and and still get it uh but the young ones and the immature can still get it as well yes and that's uh, that's again where our preaching, we always need to consider our listeners. And uh, again, are we trying to show off how knowledgeable we are, or are we trying to, again, effectively communicate God's word to uh, our audience? All right, continuing, he says, take good heed to your attitudes and your gestures, knowing when to bend and when to erect, when to lift up your right hand and when uh, your left, and let your motions be graceful, even in your attitudes and in your gestures, let your grace be. Thus shall you be pleasing in the eyes of the people and graceful in their sight. Let your voice at at times be smooth as a stream of the valley and soft as the breeze that waves not on the, bro, the bow of its banks. And at times let it swell like the waves of the ocean or like a whirlwind on the top of the mountain. Then you shall charm the ears of your hearers, and their hearts shall be softened, and their minds shall be astounded, and their souls shall be inclined to you, and the men shall incline you, and likewise the women. Well, here again, it talking about, uh, you know, all of the things that uh, a rhetorician uh, would be the master of, not only in the communication with the words and the sound of his voice and that kind of thing, but also even in the body language and the gestures that would accompany that. And I, I, again, I contrast this to the way the Apostle Paul approached his ministry in Corinth. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yeah, where are you drawing hearts to? Are you drawing hearts and winning over people to you? Or are you drawing hearts and winning people over to Christ? And that's the key difference. Um, I I was wanting to say some things of balance here. You know, um, 
it's hard listening to uh, someone who's preaching or teaching who is not very articulate, who's not very, um, you know, dynamic, so to speak. But we need to make sure that we, as the person who is is listening and paying attention and following along, if that man is preaching sound things, if that man is teaching right doctrine, we need to be able to cut through and see that this man is telling the truth and he, he doesn't need to have the extra and flowery things. If I, if I think about what you say here about Paul, Paul was one of the most studied men in religious things and in the ancient world. He would have had a, a secular knowledge as well, and he could have wowed people with his speech and the way in which he uh, carried himself, but he didn't, and he chose to not on purpose. Right, and so this is, again, a great reminder, and as Homer Haley said in the preface to this, these are good things to keep in mind for preachers of every generation, because, uh, again, we don't call ourselves clergy. We don't do licensing, ordaining and these kind of things. But we fall into the trap that uh, the it's just kind of the uh, the temptations that go with the territory and uh, we can fall into this. And so it's good to be reminded here in the the letter that Campbell wrote. Well, and uh, let me say one more thing. As the technology becomes better and better, uh, for a long time we've had televangelists and other things. Uh, many congregations now are uh, videotaping uh, and live streaming and doing things like that in their services. And it, it's going to become more and more of a temptation. Again, um, what's going to separate me from, from someone else? Uh, and well, you got to have stage presence, but if I'm talking and worried about my stage presence to that point, uh, I've lost what it is that I'm doing. Yes. And, uh, and again, will we choose our pre preachers because of how well they look on camera rather than how well they proclaim God's word? Yeah. And so we're reminded of all these things as we look at Campbell's letter. Continuing uh, with his letter, he now addresses the message uh, as it would address and talk about sin. And he says, be, and be you not mindful to offend the people. Rebuke you not their sins, but when you rebuke sin, rebuke it at a distance. And let no man apply your sayings to his own case, so shall he not be offended. This reminds me of a preacher story I heard a long time ago about a young man who had uh, had finished his uh, studies and preparation and now was going to preach. And he was preaching in middle Kentucky. And the first week of his, in his sermon, he addressed the, the evils of the liquor industry. And uh, after a wiser fellow came over to him and said, son, you think to be... Uh, maybe cautious or preaching on that subject. Uh, don't you know that bourbon is one of the big uh, money producers in this county? Well, the young man thought it over. And so the next week he preached on the tobacco industry and uh, cigarettes and cigars and uh, pipes and these kind of things. Well, uh, again, the wise older man uh, approached him after his preaching that Sunday and said, son, don't you know that uh, after the production of alcohol, that tobacco is our cash crop that we depend on here? 
And so the young man thought that over. And uh, the next week he went and preached on gambling. And uh, this man came to him afterward and said, son, don't you know that here in north central Kentucky, this is horse racing, uh, the horse racing capital of the world. And uh, a lot of people uh, depend on uh, the races and uh, the wagers that take place on those uh, uh, races. Well, at this point, the young preacher got uh, upset and he said, well, what can I preach on? Well, the old man said to him, why don't you preach on the Mormons? There's not any of them within miles of here. <laughs> Rebuke at a distance is what he <laughs> wanting him to do, right? Yes. And, and again, let no one take, have any personal accountability. Uh, you know, uh, I appreciate when brethren come, come up to me and said, preacher, you were stepping on my toes. Because that's acknowledging uh, the the lesson is hitting home and it is making people think. And uh, again, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, his listeners were cut to the heart. Now, we don't have to cut and chop with an axe, right. but we still need to uh, we still need to make people's consciences uh, to be to be cut, to be felt. And, uh, and so this was what Campbell was raising. Yeah. And the next part says, if any man go into a foreign land and seize upon his fellow man and put irons on his feet and irons on his hand and bring him across the great deep into bondage. Nay, if he tear asunder the dearest ties of nature, the tenderest leagues of the human heart, if he tears the wife from a husband and force uh, the struggling infant from the mother's bleeding heart, rebuke him not. And although he sell them in a in foreign slavery to toils beneath the lash all their days, tell them not that he has done the things that he is doing are the Antichrist. For lo, he is rich and gives to the church and is esteemed pious. So shall uh, you not offend him, lest... Uh, Per Avedir, he he withdraw himself from your flock. Yes, and here again is Campbell's. Uh, I I think he's directly aiming at the slave owner, uh, and you have to remember again uh, where the restoration movement started. It's in the cradle of uh, the uh, the old South uh, in Virginia and in Kentucky where slavery was practiced, where slavery was legal, and uh, where many members would come and worship, and they'd bring them their slaves with them as they came to worship. But uh, the system they were all uh, growing wealthy on was a system that was, again, uh, described here in, in its very uh, anti-Christ nature, as Campbell called it. Well, and I'm sure there are many preachers of Campbell's day that wouldn't want to touch this issue with a they'll, they'll either be quiet about it or, you know, just overlook uh, plain Bible teachings on the matter. But Campbell comes right out and says, you're seizing upon your fellow man and putting him in iron. And, uh, you know, there's an emotional part that he's he's uh, trying to tug on as well. But in the end, he says, don't rebuke it because these are the rich brethren that are paying your salary. So if you start addressing these things and you start stepping on these people's toes, well, you might see uh, the the ramifications of it. 
Yes, and so this is uh, is is again, and and again we uh, we need to think of about the the topics we don't always preach on. Um, better not preach on divorce and remarriage. There's a whole lot of uh, people like that in your in your church. Better not preach on uh, abortion because uh, you don't know who's had to have abortions in your church. Better not, you know, those kind of things. And when we as preachers will not preach the whole counsel of God, but we will avoid subjects because all oh, the brethren might leave or some giver might stop his giving or something like that, then uh, we're just as guilty of this uh, as uh, the people of Campbell's day. And there's been many a preacher who the eldership has come to and said, you need to stop preaching on this topic. And you, you can, you, I've heard stories of preachers who have shut up and been quiet, but I've heard more stories of preachers who uh, know the risks and the consequences that are coming and they know this might be my last uh, sermon. Uh, Kevin Patterson talked about this uh, in school. He says it's a moving sermon. Not that yes. the people were moved, but after that you preach the sermon, you got to go move. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and again, um, that again is a reminder that we want to preach the whole counsel of God. And we can do this in a right way, in a good way, but it, it is also where we also need to, so uh, as you say, have your bags packed as we would make uh, this, this preaching. Uh, but again, are we trying to please men or are we trying to please God? Well, uh, Campbell uh, finished out this section on preaching and he said, teach them to believe that you have the care of their souls and that the saving mysteries are for your explaining. And when you explain your mysteries, encompass them round about with words as with a bright veil, so bright that no, uh, that through it no man can see. And lo, you shall bind the judgments of men, and more especially of women, as with a band of iron. And you shall make them blind in the midst of light, even as an owl is blind in the noonday sun. And behold, you shall lead them captive to your reverend wills. Yeah, um, we're supposed to be able to see in the daytime. And he says it's like an owl who, uh, you know, an owl is much better than the nocturnal animal. Uh, but in the noonday, he's not very, very good. Um, people that can be so blinded, they rather see in the dark than when the light is exposed and bright. Uh, they can't see uh, anything at all. And again, you know, think of what Jesus said about blind guide, blind people following, following blind guides. Uh, they both fall in the ditch uh, because, uh, again, instead of having a desire for the truth and the light, uh, we prefer the darkness and uh, and, uh, you know, our comfort. Just tickle my ears, preacher, and keep me comfortable. Now, moving on here, uh, Campbell is talk, then talks about the reward for those who are in the clergy. He says, in all your gettings, get money. Now, therefore, when you go forth on your ministerial journey, go where there are silver and gold and where each man will pay you. According, for I verily say you must get your reward. 
Go not forth as those as those that have been sent, without two coats, without gold or silver, or brass in their purses, without script for their journey, or shoes or staves, but go you forth in the good things of this world. And here again, Campbell is addressing our, our motives uh, for preaching and uh, the the clergy's motives for preaching. Uh, you know, when Jesus sent forth the, the 12 on the limited com commission there in Matthew 10, those were those were the things Campbell was dis uh, describing. And when preachers now go forth, uh, is it with uh, all the comforts and all the signs of wealth? Or is it with uh, a spirit that shows I'm depending on God? Yeah, and in that very first uh, uh, sentence of it says, uh, in all your gettings, get money. <laughs> uh, the proverb in Proverbs 4 and verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal th thing, and therefore, uh, in all your getting, get uh, understanding. <laughs> uh, and so you see the, the flip-flop here on in the satire. Yes, and, uh, and, and Campbell, as a young man, had memorized the entire book of Proverbs. And so uh, these kind of things just came naturally to him as he uh, as he wrote. Campbell continued here and he says, and when you shall hear of a church that is vacant and has no one to preach therein, then be that a call to you and be mindful of the call and take you charge of the flock thereof and of the fleece thereof, even of the golden fleece. And when you shall have fleeced your flock and shall know of another call, and if the flock be greater or rather if the fleece be greater, then greater be also you to you the call. Then shall you leave your old flock and of the new shall take, take charge. Uh, uh, fleecing of the flock is uh, pretty good as far as uh, the satire. Um, again, it's not about teaching the, the right things or being about the truth. Uh, it's just about uh, getting all that they can out of uh, good people, uh, fleecing the flock and finding the golden fleece and the, uh, better flock that has more and I can fleece it even greater. And so then you're, oh, I'm called to go on to the next thing. Right. And here it's just, a, again, I think a reminder for all of us who preach to understand what are my motives in doing this? Uh, certainly preachers are worthy of their hire. And we can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and also 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says the laborer is worthy of his hire. Uh, it is scriptural and right to pay preachers. And we do not need to just put the preachers so that he can barely, uh, you know, uh, get by. We need to, uh, again, allow him to live the way the average man lives. But as we think about this, uh, we need to look at our motives. And I am I in this just for the material war reward uh, or am I uh, really interested in the spirit of that? Paul says, woe is me if I preach not Christ. Uh, and and this is what uh, we need to make sure of. You know, Jesus on chapter 10 spoke of the hireling. He's the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But in John 10, 12, John, uh, Peter, Jesus said, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. 
the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Um, whatever congregation that we serve, again, care for the flock because they're God's flock. Now, we are not the pastors. The preachers are not the pastors. But uh, as we preach and teach, we need to do it with the care of the good shepherd. Right. In the closing of uh, this uh, letter from Campbell, he says, And the more that people give to you, the more they will honor you. For they shall believe that in giving to you, they are giving to the Lord. For behold, their sight shall be taken from them, and they shall be blind as bats, and shall know not what they do. And you shall wax richer and richer, and grow greater and greater. And you shall be lifted up in your own sight, and exalted in the eyes of the multitude. And lucre shall no longer be filthy in your sight, and verily you will have your reward. In doing these things you shall never fail, and may and may abundance of gold and silver and banknotes and corn and wool and flax and spirits of wine and land be multiplied to you both now and hereafter. Amen. Well, again, uh, it is where we need to, uh, again, take the warning as uh, those who preach and teach. And we do this uh Again, and we make our living by this. But again, what is my motive uh, as I do this? Uh, as you were reading, I couldn't help but think of the the televangelist uh, who uh, he makes his appeal to churches: uh, send your seed money, you know. And uh, when you're sending that money to support my ministry, you're sending it to the Lord. And many, I think, many naive people believe. They are genuinely helping the Lord's cause when they send this. But uh, uh, is it really going beyond uh, to to help people or is it uh, just in the uh, giving of this televangelist a more luxurious lifestyle? Yeah, I had a, um, a teacher at the school um, and he talked about a young man who had gone through a school of preaching and he was a good preacher in in the church, uh, but he was swayed away by another uh, preacher in a denomination. And the guy said, hey, you're making this much there. If you want to make stacks, you come and preach over here. And he he was just basically telling him, hey, this is how you're going to get rich. Um, and good-minded people, and maybe naive, but like you say, good-minded people who believe in their giving, they are giving to the Lord when they are giving actually to fill the pockets of um, a false teacher. This is where the real issue and problem is with uh, false teachers, because uh, you're you're messing with the hearts and minds of those people who are giving, and that that giving that they think is going for the right and good cause. Well, again, as we look at this, uh, there's a lot of things that we can look at and uh, take to heart for ourselves as we would make application uh, of this message. You know, Haley suggested in his book, every generation of preachers needs to read this uh, epistle of uh, third epistle of Peter and to be reminded of the important truth that we are servants and not lords in the congregation. 
Second, we need to avoid terminology and designations that uh, accumulate so easily around those who lead the church, doctor, reverend, pastor, uh, your eminence. Uh, even the term brother can be used uh, in a way that we're trying to honor and, and show respect rather than just address this is the, a person that I, you know, I am in uh, the in relationship to. And third, we need to preach and teach and live the priesthood of all believers. This needs to be, uh, I think, preached on more and more and more. Uh, in, in my mind, far too often is left up to the professionals. And uh, I think sometimes brethren even reason, well, he's getting paid for it, so let him handle this. And uh, we need to understand and help our brethren understand that each one of us are servants following the servant Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And we need to help people find a ministry that they can be involved in. Uh, and that ministry might just be a simple ministry of encouragement. But we need to be involved in every way that possible in uh, in serving Jesus. Yeah, the the reading of uh, third third Peter by Campbell is a good one. Uh, it's humorous at parts. Uh, it's stinging at parts. It helps the preacher keep his mind on on straight. Um, I know there's many preachers that listen to uh, this podcast, but uh, maybe if your preacher doesn't, maybe share this one with them and uh, in a good way, keep them uh, humble and honest in, in what they're doing. Well, it's been a good morning this morning, Dad. Uh, but I want to think about things for what's coming up next week. Well, uh, it has been a good morning. Uh, one thought I had to hear right before we close is, uh, was Campbell the Babylon Bee of his day? <laughs> yes, good satire. I think he was. <laughs> well, next week, I'd like to introduce our readers to a female writer who had a long-lasting ministry to children in the pages of the Christian leader. She was known as Cousin Jenny. Uh, we're going to take a brief look at her life. We hope to read some letters, uh, the letters that children sent to her, and then read some of the sage counsel that she gave to her young readers. Yeah, I remember this, some of these things from school, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and as we close, uh, just if uh, you're a listener and want to get in contact with us, you can get in contact with my dad. He's a preacher at the Belleville Road Church of Christ, and you can find their website and just search for the Belleville Road Church of Christ. Uh, I'm also uh, an associate minister at the uh, South Florida Avenue Church of Christ here in Lakeland, Florida. You can find me on, on that website. I'm also on Facebook at Vincent Darty. Uh, and um, there's several links and things that you can find. And I'll try to put them in the description of, uh, uh, of the notes today, links to my dad's website and his studies on the restoration movement. Uh, but also um, uh, others as well that, that I'll try to put on there. Uh, use these as resources. Uh, these things are good for any generation and just look for, for the application. Be thou my